As you know, we've been working through a series in 1 Samuel. And what we've been seeing is that David is the one who's been chosen to be king, and yet he is on the run. And the passage that we have before us, I have to admit to you straight on, it's a strange passage. Um, it, it, it asks questions of us that sometimes are hard to answer. But I'd like you to follow along if you would, and we're in 1 Samuel, and you can understand and follow with me if you would, just by a little review to remember what's going on in the story here. Remember, David had to flee. He went to Nob to get some food, and things went bad, and David had to run, and he, he hit the bottom, basically, when he had to pretend he was crazy, slobbering and writing on the doors, and he got kicked out, and it, he, just, he got out, but it was a tragic kind of thing for him. But David gathered an army, almost 600 men, but it's not like the cream of the crop. It's a lot of the guys who owed people money and stuff like that. But he had with the head of force, and Saul was, of course, becoming increasingly erratic. He continues to be chasing against, against David, trying to find him and his men to kill him. And what's interesting to see is how David refuses to kill Saul when it's handed right to him. And what we see is that Saul, of course, killed all the priests at Nob, 85 of them, if I remember correctly. But one, Abiathar, survived the slaughter that happened. And David had this opportunity in the cave where he could have killed Saul, but he chose not to. Why? Because he said, Saul is still the Lord's anointed. Irrespective of the fact that he's crazy, that he's a murderer, he's a butcher, he is still the person that God has chosen. Until that day that he, God takes him out, that'll be the day when I can become king, but not before. And so it speaks well of David in that sense. And we're going to see in the passage now that it's kind of it's funny. We're telling all these things where he's following after David, and David is escaping. But what we have this morning is 1 Samuel chapter 25. And you're more than welcome to look it in your Bible or if you have, see it up front. It's a story about a wise woman and a foolish man. Now, some of you are thinking, I know somebody like that, but no, this is not someone you know. This goes way back, okay? I don't know anybody making cracks a joke. Okay, anyway, so, but it's an interesting passage, and it's a fascinating passage, and I hope you can follow along with what's going on it. It's interesting because the story we have, the passage that we're in, in 1 Samuel 25, is just between two stories of Saul being having an opportunity, David for kill Saul, and he doesn't do it. We know we had it in this one uh, last week where David spared his life, even though many people are saying, kill him, kill him. All it takes is one spear and you got him dead and you're king. And he refused to do it. On the other side, there's a second one coming up in the next chapter, 26, where once again, David has a great opportunity to kill Saul. Saul was sleeping on the ground and David sneaks up and he's got a spear and all it takes, that's it. And he becomes king but he refuses to do it. And right in the middle between two stories of opportunities to kill, David will not do it. When many people would say, David, it's your right. He's crazy. He's trying to kill you. If you don't kill him now, he's going to get you. And he continues to say, only if the Lord would have me to do this, but I will not do this because he is the Lord's anointed. And that's where this passage comes in. And there's going to be two great people that are going to be in the story here that we need to remember. David, of course, because of stories about David, but a woman named Abigail, and she is one smart woman, besides being brilliant and being beautiful, which certainly helps as well. And that's what the story we have. There's a third person who's not that smart, 
And that's why he's in the small caps under there. And this is a guy named Nabal. And his name is Nabal because Nabal in Hebrew means fool. Now, I can't imagine anybody naming their kid Fool. Hi, that's a cute little baby. What's his name? Oh, we decided to call him Fool. Maybe it's, you know, something they called him after they got to know his character. I don't know. Maybe what was that? Maybe they came up with that. But it is a strange story, but it's an important story. And it has an important lesson, I think, as we go through it. We're picking up our reading in 1 Samuel 25. Samuel died. Samuel had had such a wonderful ministry. And he'd really helped Saul in many ways, and things were not going great. But Samuel died, and all Israel assembled to mourn for him. And they buried him by his home in Ramah. David then went down to the wilderness at Paran. A man of my own had a business in Carmel. Now notice how wealthy this guy is. He was a very rich man with three thousand sheep. How would you like to be carrying for three thousand sheep? Three thousand sheep and a thousand goats. And he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. This is a great time when they're shearing it. It's a lot of work. It's exhausting work. When you're all done, it's like it's party time. And they would have a big festival. The wool is in for another year. And it means that we're going to be able to sell this stuff and use this stuff. It's a really happy time. But it's not going to get happy as we go on. But anyways, he had 3,000 sheep, 1,000 goats, and they were shearing sheep in Carmel. The man's name was Nabal, or Nabal. And his wife's name was Abigail. The woman, and notice the description, the woman was intelligent and beautiful, but the man was a Calebite. What's right there, it's saying he's a, he's a little shifty to begin with, okay? And he was harsh, and he was evil in his dealings. When David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was sharing sheep. So get the story again. David is here with 600 men. He's got to feed 600 men. He and his men have been kind of keeping right around all where all this is going on. They're protecting Nabal's 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. So it's kind of a protection thing. They're kind of putting a wall around it. But there's something to remember. Nabal did not ask him to do this. It's kind of like saying, well, we're going to help you anyways, whether you need it or not. And so here's what's happening. So David sent 10 young men instructing them, well, go up to Carmel. And when you get to Nabal, greet him in my name. Then say this, long live to you and peace to you and your family and all that's yours. Make a nice cheery thing. He says, I heard, tell these guys, tell Nabal, I heard that you're shearing. When your shepherds here were with us, we didn't harass them. And nothing of theirs was missing the whole time they're in Carmel. In other words, want to remind you, Nabal, how good we've been to you. And it would sure be nice if maybe you'd have a little help us. Now the fact that we've been helping you so much. And so it said, you ask your young men, and they'll tell you. So let your young men find favor with you, for we have come on a feast day. Please give whatever you can and afford to your servants and to your servant David. Could you help us now? We've been helpful to you. Would you come back for us and do a little help for us? So here's what happens. You remember the story? Some people say, David is like a mobster. We've got a special deal for you. We're going to provide protection for your place. And you're not going to have to worry about your, your lambs. And you, we're going to all take care of it for you. And there's just going to be a little bit of price put to it. And some people think that this is like a shakedown from David. Other people say, no, it's not. Culturally, it's kind of understandable that if you help that person, you're going to come back and help him. 
And so it's like some people read this story from different kinds of lenses, thinking they, they never asked it. He did that. He provided protection for him. Is it wrong to say, could you maybe help us a little bit, considering I've got 600 men who are very hungry that would really appreciate to have a good meal after you're having a huge banquet? I take it in the best sense that he wasn't trying to shake them down. He was just saying, you know, you've had a wonderful you know, here, think, could you, could you help us? But notice what happens. David's young men went and said all these things to Nabal on David's behalf, and they waited. Now notice this. Nabal asked them, and listen to these phrases. Nabal asked them, who is David? Like, duh, like you don't know. Of course you know who David is. I mean, he's the most famous guy around. He's the one that killed Goliath. And he knows, of course, that David's on the run with his men. And he goes, well, who's David? And who is Jesse's son? He doesn't even use the word David. He says, who's this Jesse's son you're talking about? And he goes, you know, many slaves are running around these days from their masters. It's like, it's, it is talk about dissing somebody, saying you're nothing more than just a slave. That was the bad thing to say to David. Because now David really is mad. And David's ready to do something about it. Am I, and so he's going on. Notice by the word my how much it happens here. Nabal's still speaking foolishly. Am I supposed to take my bread, my water, and my meat that I butchered for my shares and give them to men who from, well, I don't know where. How do I know where they're coming from? David's men retraced their, stat, their st steps. When they returned, they, they reported all these words. He said to them, all of you, this is what David's saying, all right, that's it, all of you, put on your swords. In other words, get your sword, we're going to kill them all. David is furious. Now, whether he, they asked for it or not, he provided very, very good help for them. Nabal refuses to do anything to help them. And he said, that's it, get your swords on. Remember, he's got 600 men. We're going to take them all out. We're going to kill them all. And by the way, we'll have the 3,000 goats, I mean the sheep and the 2,000 goats, and all the things, is we'll do it. So what happens, it says, about 400 men stay, uh, followed David while 200 stayed with the supplies. One of Nabal's young men informed Abigail, and here's where Abigail begins to shine. It said, uh, one Abigail, Nabal's wife, uh, said, look, Dave, look, David sent a messenger from the wilderness to greet our masters, but he, that's Nabal, he yelled at them. The men treated us well. When we were in the field, we weren't harassed, and nothing of ours was missing the whole time we were living among them. And he said, there was a, they were like a wall around us both day and night the entire time we were herding the sheep. Now, consider carefully what you must do, because it is certain that there's going to be trouble for our master and his entire family. He is such a worthless fool, nobody can talk to him. Now, it's interesting that here's a slave, basically a servant, saying, you know what? Our master, he's an idiot. And if you don't do something quick, there's going to be blood on the carpet. And so here you've got the situation. Abigail's a smart woman. It's like, you know, I got an idiot for a husband, and there's going to be a tra tragedy coming up if I don't do something. So notice what she says. <clears throat> then she said to her male servants, you go ahead of me. I'll be right behind you. But she didn't tell her husband, Nabal. 
And so she rode the donkey down the mountain pass, hidden from view, so he wouldn't see her. She saw David and the men coming towards to meet her, to meet towards her, and to meet them. In other words, they're coming. Six hundred men. Well, the four hundred are coming, and she is here to say, "Is there anything I can do to stop this slaughter that's about to happen?" David had just said, "You know, I guarded everything that belonged to this man in the wilderness for nothing. He was missed, not missing anything. Yet he paid me back evil for good. May God punish me, and even more if I let any of his men survive till morning. Now we're going to kill them all. No one left. We're going to slaughter them. And here comes a very, very beautiful." intelligent, smart woman who's like, man, I want to protect my family. And so when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off the donkey, fell to face on the ground in front of David. She fell at his feet and said, the guilt is mine, my Lord, but, but please let your servant speak to you directly. Listen to the word of your servant. My Lord, speaking of David, should pay no attention to this worthless man, Nabal. That's her husband, by the way. And stupidity is all he knows. I, your servant, don't see my, my Lord's uh, young men who, went, who, who were sent out. Now, my Lord, now he's given, she is giving advice to David, who's ready to kill everybody. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, it is the Lord who's kept you from participating in bloodshed. In other words, I'm here to stop this. And the Lord is leading me to tell you this, that you don't want to do this. The Lord who kept you from participating in bloodshed and avenging yourself by your own hand. May your enemies and those who want trouble for my Lord be like Nabal, her husband. Now, the point is saying, you know, I may have an idiot for a husband, but I'm not willing to see our whole group, our family killed. And there's going to be a great slaughter. And notice that point. She said, it is the Lord who kept you from participating. In other words, you don't realize I just did you a huge favor by asking you to stop. Because everybody knows at some point soon, you're going to become king. And if you get so mad that you go over and you slaughter every single person and take all their sheep and goats, who's going to want you as king? And so David's going, hey, she's smart. In fact, She's very smart because if I do this and everybody sees me as a bloodthirsty man, they're not going to want me to be as their king. And so here's a smart woman in a culture where those who are women are on top and women don't really matter that much. But he realizes, you know, she's speaking what I really needed to hear from the Lord. She says, may your enemies and those who want to trouble you be like my Lord Nabal. And, that, and they'll notice that. So she said, sir, accept this gift your servant has brought to mind. She brought this food, all this food stuff. Let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord is certain to make you, a, notice this phrase, a lasting dynasty for my Lord because he fights the Lord's battles. Throughout your life may evil not be found in you. She is a smart woman again. She's basically saying, do you realize the opportunity you have? Do you realize how close you came to a massacre that may have kept you from becoming a king? And he's saying, would you have a dynasty? You would have sons, you know, great-grandchildren, sons that would go on from generation after generation because you're doing what the Lord wanted you to do. So don't mess this up by slaughtering all these people. 
Throughout your life, may evil, evil not be found in you. When someone pursues you, this is her talk, Abigail talking to David. When someone pursues you and attempts to take your life, my Lord's life will be tucked safely in the place where the Lord your God protects the living. However, he'll fling away your enemies like, like, like stones from a sling. That's a good analogy because David killed Goliath with a stone and a sling. It's like saying, you know how he threw that stone and it was gone? We're going to take all that evil and phew, we're going to throw that away too. And you're going to be a great king. And David's going, hey, this is one really smart chick. Where's she been all my life? And he realizes, well, she's just a little woman. She may be a little woman, but she's a very smart woman. And maybe you need to listen to what she's saying. And of course, he is starting to listen and realizing, yeah, boy, I came that close to possibly missing out on what God had for me because of my anger and unwillingness to listen to someone else. She goes on, when the Lord does, excuse me, when the Lord does for my Lord all the good things he's promised and appointed you ruler over Israel, there will not be remorse or troubled conscience for my Lord because of the needless bloodshed or my Lord's revenge. In other words, do you see what's happening, David? You're not going to have that on your guilt conscience for the rest of your life. David the butcher, who killed them all. Not going to happen for you because you've listened even to a woman who made you realize how important it was for you to not be involved in this. And so he says and goes on, and when the Lord does good things for my Lord, may you remember me, your servant. It's like, I kind of think you're kind of nice. He's kind of good looking and he's famous and he killed Goliath. And she says, would you kind of remember me as things go better for me now? Then David said to Abigail, well, I lost it there. Praise to the Lord your God of Israel who sent you to meet me today. This is David speaking. He's speaking to her. Blessed is your discernment and blessed are you. Today you kept me from participating in bloodshed and avenging myself with my own hand. Otherwise, boy, surely as the Lord God of Israel lives who prevented me from harming you, if you hadn't come quickly to meet you, Nabal wouldn't have had any man left by morning light. I was going to kill them all. And he's again thinking, hey, she is sharp. And it helps that she's beautiful. And he's listening to her. And there's an interesting thing. Then David accepted what she had brought, all this food, and said, go home in peace, speaking to her. I have heard what you've said, and I've granted your request. Now, all this is going on, and Nabal the fool is acting like a fool. He's drunk as a skunk. And he's about ready to have a big, big surprise. Then Abigail went to Nabal, his wife, I mean her husband, and there he was in his house feasting like a king. Nabal was in a good mood and very drunk. So she didn't say anything to him until morning light. And here's where it gets interesting. In the morning when Nabal sobered up, his wife told him about the events. Then he had a seizure and became paralyzed. How's that for drinking too much? About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal dead. Then David heard that Nabal was dead. Excuse me. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise the Lord who championed my cause against Nabal's insults and restrained his servant from doing evil. The Lord brought Nabal's evil dues back on his own head. 
then David sent messengers to speak to Abigail about marrying him. How about we get together? What do you think? <laughs> She's sharp, intelligent, beautiful, and she kept me from making one of the worst decisions I ever could have made. And it's interesting in that passage, it says in verse 40, when David's servants came to Abigail Carmel, they said to her, David sent us to bring you to him as his wife. She bowed her face to the ground and said, here I am, your servant, to wash the feet of my Lord's servants. It's a very way of showing humility. Then Abigail got up quickly with her five female servants, she's got some money herself, accompanying and rode to the donkey following David's message. And so she became his wife. Now, this passage is an odd one. What do you do with this passage? You've got a very guy who gets very, very angry, you know, who's got a reason to be, David. He's ready to kill them all. He meets a woman who's very, very smart that keeps him from doing that. But how do you kind of think about this? How should we respond to this? For example, should Abigail get the Wife of the Year award? Should she get it? In other words, she's a great woman. She saves her family. Uh, look at the things that she did. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, that's wonderful. But she's got a husband. I should say she had a husband. Um, I'm not sure if that's the way God wants us to work it out. So the question is, well, maybe she should get the wife of the ward. Maybe not. Now think about this. How would you describe this? How would you look at it? You say, um, is it the right thing to do? To say, you know, my husband's name's stupid, and it just proved that he is stupid, and I'm glad to get rid of stupid. <laughs> On the other hand, it's like, but she was still married to this guy. He may be idiot, but she was still married. Now, you can look at this and say, where is God in all this? You'd have to say, God is obviously working, but it sort of works in different ways than a lot of us think about it. For example, what you see in this passage is one of many illustrations of what you might want to call providential restraint. That is, where a person was getting ready to do something, and it seemed like the right thing, and suddenly God in his providence and his care does something that nudges us or moves us or saying, you know, whispers in our heart saying, that, that's not smart. Maybe you ought not to do that. Maybe that's not what I have for you. And that's a good example of what you have in David. If here he is, going to kill them all. Blood's going to be running down the streets when I'm done. And God says, I don't think this is a good thing, David. I got a real smart woman that you need to meet who's going to keep you from being a fool, like your husband is a fool. And so what we see in these passages, it's saying, you know, God is still at work through some of the strangest ways. Remember what Abigail said? She said, now my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself uh, live, it's the Lord who kept you from participating in bloodshed. In other words, she recognizes it wasn't just her being smart. She is smart. But she, he, he, she recognized that this is God speaking to her, that this is not what she needs to do because the impact it's going to have on David is going to be massive. By the way, in verses 26, 33, 44 and 39, in that chapter, you see examples like this where God is nudging, God is moving, God is saying, mm, no, let's not go. No, that's probably not the way we need to go. 
And we ought to be grateful for the fact that we have a God who does speak to us, who does speak into our hearts, that does give us wisdom, that gives us understanding of what we should do. In this passage, it said, this is a quote from a guy named Hertzberg. He said it this way, better than I could say it. Quote, through Abigail, the Lord saves David from a danger different from that of a cave with Saul, but nonetheless great. It consists in the possibility that David may take matters into his own hand, thus making himself master of his fate instead of letting it be guided by the Lord. It's a good quote. Because many times we want to have our own way, to do it the way we think best, and don't stop and think, what do you think the Lord would want us to do? Is this wise? Is this in keeping of what we know of the character of God? Do I sense God leading in maybe a different direction where it would be better if I, could fo if I would follow him? And it is interesting in this passage because it doesn't give you a, yes, this one is perfectly white I and mean, great. This one's black and terrible, white, black, white, nope. I don't know. What's clear is that God is at work even in the weirdness of life, of what's going on. And it's interesting here. It reminds us again of the importance of the willingness to listen to others. In the ancient world, women were supposed to be quiet, have babies, do the cooking, and be quiet. Now, there were a lot of examples of women that were not that way, but in general, it was very much male-dominated. And you can understand, here's David, the one who's going to be the king. What are you talking about, little lady? You don't listen to that little lady. God's using that woman to keep you from being a snake and having a stupid thing of killing all these people. And it reminds us that many times God does maybe not speak to us directly, but he uses other people whom God is speaking through them to enable us, to encourage us, to say, you know, is that wise? Are you willing to listen to what maybe other things people say? Is that really what you want to do? And how important it is to seek God's work in that. There's an interesting story in 2 Samuel. Well, 2 Samuel yeah, chapter 5. Remember the story about Naaman? Naaman was a guy who was like the chief head guy of the army of Aram. And he has leprosy. And if you remember in that story, what happened is the guy told him, listen, if you will go to Israel and you'll dunk yourself seven times into the river, it'll be better. And he goes, okay, well, I'm not going to do that. That's crazy. But a little, it says a little servant girl who worked for Naaman said, you know what? This, this is right. This is what you ought to do. I know that if you will go and, and come to our wor worship our God and, and do what he tells you to do, it would be work. And it's like, what are you, little girl? Why should I listen to what you have to say? Okay, I'm just telling you. And then finally he realized he's desperate. And so he gets into the water and he dunks himself seven times and his leprosy is gone. And he looks at the little girl and said, you were right. I'm glad I listened to you. And of course, he's worth listening to God, knowing this is exactly what God wants to do. And this is important, but the importance of us being able to listen to other people. So we're not on our own office making decisions where we have other people saying, what do you think? What, where do you feel the Lord leading you on this? And how much that can save us from the issues and the struggles that we have in our life. This willingness to listen is very, very important. And speaking to the young people, a lot of them were there last night, I just want to remind yourself, just because we're older doesn't mean we're stupid. 
I shouldn't have to mention that, but you know, sometimes you think, you know, my mom doesn't even know how to get the iPhone set up for the settings. You know, it's like, you know, that may be true, okay? But your mom has probably learned a lot over the last 30 years, and there's more that you can learn from them. I'm not just picking on you, Kathy, if you're taking anybody who's here, okay? But the point is, it's saying, you know, a willingness to listen. And I hate to say this, guys, but sometimes we're a little late and maybe asking our wives where if we'd ask them, say, what do you think of that? I know early on in our marriage, it was like, I know exactly what I'm doing. I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. Until you realize, that's another stupid thing I just did. And I'm sure glad that God gave me a wife who said, are you sure you want to do that? Does that make sense to you? Is this something that would be honoring to God? There's been many, many times when I can thank God for a good wife who was willing to say, you know what, I love you enough to tell you you're acting like Nabal. Now, she didn't use those exact words. <laughs> she doesn't like Nabal either, okay? But the point is that God uses many people around us, and thank God for that, to help us on this journey of following him. Our Father, we thank you for this passage. Father, it's a strange one. We wish we could say this person's all right and this person's bad, and you don't, you don't really help us on that one. But it does remind us again of what you are and what you've done and how you work through people, people surprising people that come into our lives, that you use them by your providential care for us to help us to do what is right, to serve you, we pray, Father, that you would be with us, help us, help us to be open from the input of others, that we may be used by you to have an impact on the life of this, and the, this world. We ask this in Jesus' name now. Amen.